little nervous about this morning, and uh, you'll know why here in, in just a little bit. Um, as we're going through this, this series of, uh, of hot topics, uh, we, ha- we have reached uh, some that I, I think are, according to our society, hotter uh, than others. Uh, today, what we're going to be talking about is, is pro-life, pro-life, pro-choice, uh, abortion, uh, any of those could have been uh, sermon titles, I think. I chose pro-life here in just a, a minute, which will probably be very clear to you by the, the end of this message. Um, but, but I want to start by saying this, um, we know that God is pro-life, and the reason we know that is because life exists. Yeah, we can dismiss kids to junior church. Told you I was a little nervous about today's message. I'm nervous about today's message not because I, I don't think God's Word is clear, uh, but because I know that um, when we are clear with God's Word, uh, the, the world is generally uh, opposed to what we say. But like I began, we know that God is pro-life because life exists. Uh, Isaiah 46, 3-4 says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs I will carry you, I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save." So as we look at today's message, as we look at the title of today's message, the question is, okay, so what does God think about abortion? What does the Bible say about abortion? And I want to be very clear, the word abortion is not in the Bible at all. But the concept of the sanctity of life is. And also, before we begin, I want to be very clear with this statement. So I wrote it down. I hope it is clear. And that is this, there is a ethical, biblical, moral difference between abortion and the unfortunate life-saving procedure of a pregnant woman that then results in the death of the infant. Hopefully that was clear, I'll try to restate that. There is an ethical, moral biblical difference between abortion and an unfortunate life-saving procedure on a pregnant mother that then results in infant death. I also want to give you some resources before we begin. Um, These are some books, some pamphlets. I have MP3 files. I have other uh, resources. So what you see up here on the screen is, uh, is first this one, Forgiven and Set Free by Linda Cochran. This is post-abortion Bible study for women. Um, David Paulson is the next one over. You can't see his name probably from where you're sitting because it's, it's just so small on there. Uh, Healing After Abortion, God's Mercy is for You by David Paulson. There's this book, uh, 31 Biblical Reflections on God's Comfort and Care. Um, and that's Held, the name of it is Held, and it's by uh, Abby Wedgworth. And then Grieving the Loss of Your Child, Comfort for Your Broken Heart by Ryan 
Shoalwater, or Walter. And so I want for you to understand something as we begin. Uh, I'm not the first to cover this topic. Uh, I am incapable in the time that we are spending together to cover this topic exhaustively. Uh, there are resources out there for you or for someone you know, and it is my heart's desire to minister to you the best that I can by God's grace, and so these are a few of them. If you have more questions, uh, you can send me an email if you're watching live. You can stop me after service. Today, we do have, a, we do have a, a, a quarterly meeting, so I can't spend a lot of time with you today, but I would love to make an appointment and spend that time with you on a further date uh, because I care for you, okay? So, as we get into today's message, will you please join with me in prayer? God, we praise you for your wisdom and your beauty revealed to us in creation. From thunderstorms to sunsets, from honeybees to hippopotamus, and certainly in the mystery and the majesty of human life from conception all the way to coffin. Creator God, God of life, we praise your name. Lord, we confess that we do not pray enough for our country and its leadership. We do not pray enough for our state and its leadership. We confess that while we hold your word in high esteem, that we often struggle to apply it in the best ways in our own lives. We confess that in many ways we have not stood on the principles of Scripture as a nation. We confess that we can and should do more to care for the lives of all those around us. But we thank you for your long-suffering, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your spirit of truth. We ask that you would be with us now and help us to apply your word today. Give us your heart. Grant us wisdom and discernment. Help us to form a biblical view of life and help us to apply this view to our interactions with others and with one another, as well as this lost and hurting world. Help us, O oh God of life, to be life-giving in your name. And by your Son's name we pray, amen. So if you're a note taker and, and you have a copy of the notes, uh, this is the first one you can fill out. It is the sanctity of human life. And I mean that as a general blanket statement over all, all human life. I guess I should have put the term all in there, the sanctity of all human life. And the first point that I want to make to you from this, again, if you're a note taker, is this. Life is precious. Uh, life proceeds from God. Well, life proceeds from God. And of course, we need to go to the Bible as our standard. And of course, that's what we're going to do in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So he is the creator and we are his creation. Colossians 1.17 And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. We need to understand that every single breath that we have is from God. He holds all of things together. 
at the very moment, now I, I do understand that this is a movie and it's, it's fake believe and all this kind of stuff. And yes, I said fake believe on purpose. Uh, but I do understand that Thanos is not real. But if he were, if God were Thanos, it would be the same thing. He could snap his fingers and everything would just simply dissolve. But our God is real and he has real power. And so we need to understand that our lives are not unto ourselves. Other human lives are not just something we can dispose of. Your life is a gift and it is to be used in the service of God, the one who gave you that life, in whose image you are created. That's why that question went really well with the beginning of this message. So we need to understand, firstly, the sanctity of all human life because life proceeds from God. He is its creator. He is its originator. To him belong the power, the dominion, the authority forever and ever and ever. Amen, right? And then secondly, life is precious to God. You know, I don't know what your theology is, what your view of God is, but God didn't have to create us. He was perfectly content in and of himself. But God wanted to create us because He is a loving God. He is a life-giving God. It is in His nature to be creative. And so He created us. He created us for His glory and because He loves us. So He created us. Life is precious to God. So from Genesis all the way to the New Testament, Matthew 6, 25 through 26, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And of course, the answer that Jesus was looking for is yes. Now, in our society, which is, is kind of interesting to me, in our society where we have so much plenty, there is so much fear and anxiety over what we don't have. But when we look around the globe and we see other people and other nations and what they lack, then I think it helps remind us of, of what God has blessed us with. But the fact is, is that God cares for every single one of us all around the globe. Every single human being. And, and, and I don't mean that, uh, I don't mean that in a everyone around the globe, no matter what is all saved, there's, there's, a, there, there's a biblical principles for that. But what I do mean is that God truly loves every single human being on the face of this globe that has ever existed and that will ever exist. God knows us individually, every single one of us. God knows your inmost thoughts and desires. God has numbered every hair of every head. And Scripture is clear when it says that Jesus has died for the sins of the world, but that's where the theology comes in, for all those who would receive him, right? Those who would believe in him. And so if you are in that camp, God died for you individually. 
you. And so what we need to understand about this, uh, about life being precious to God, life proceeding from God and being precious to God, is that God cares for the ugly and the dirty and the stinky. Some of us fall into those camps. God cares for the Democrats. He cares for the Republicans. God cares for the communists, and He cares for the anarchists. God cares for the prisoner, and He cares for the addict, and He cares for the prostitute, and He cares for the CEO on Wall Street, and He cares for the, the um, professor in the uh, higher education, colleges, universities. He cares for the men and women who march in parades. He cares for people who, who shoot up Walmarts. He cares for, for child molesters and human traffickers. You see, life is precious to God. And believe it or not, that means that you are precious to him too. So thirdly, life is protected by God. Now when we talked about uh, the theodicy problem, the problem with evil, and maybe we sometimes fail to believe this principle, but it is, it is true. Life is protected by God. And I want to give you one proof of that because time would escape to give you an exhaustive proof of that. But again in Genesis 9, 5 through 6, it says, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. You see, life is protected by God. God prohibits and punishes unlawful taking of life. This is back in Genesis. This is a very old command. This is a very old truth. In fact, I don't know how much you, you, should, you, you should know this. I, I, I want for you to. And if, if you don't, don't feel bad, but be encouraged by your pastor that you should grow in this. But I don't know if you know chapter 9 and, and what has immediately uh, around that. This is, this is with the flood, okay? So this is after the flood, and then God is, is giving this to, to, to Noah and his sons. But even before that, after Adam and Eve, they had these two sons. You remember this story? If, if you know something about the Bible, if you don't, Adam and Eve, the first... They had two sons, Cain and Abel. One killed the other, and then God questioned him about that too. And so even from the beginning, right after the fall, when sin entered in, life is protected by God. So God prohibits and punishes unlawful taking of, of life. We see this later in Deuteronomy and Exodus and Leviticus when they're given rules. You know, like, you shall not murder. And so if you're a thinking person, and, and I hope that you are, you may be at this point asking this question. Okay, pastor, so all life is, is, proceeds from God. 
All life is precious to God. All life is protected from God. So what about the death penalty? Well, that's a great question, and I think that shows that you're thinking through these things. And so I would encourage you in that. But as we see in the text, and I just make this statement, that God can be pro-life and still be for the death penalty. I believe that this is clear here in Scripture. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? Because God was made in man's own image. Throughout other places in Scripture, we are given commands that those who are in authority uh, do not bear the sword in vain. Therefore, evildoers ought to be in fear of the authorities that God has placed so that we can have righteous rule on the earth as, as far as it's capable for us as sinful human beings. So it was a good question about the death penalty. But God can still be pro-life and still for the punishment of wickedness. But we also need to see that death as a whole is by God's appointment. Now, in our society and around the globe, we have these kind of new age ideals of karma or of, you know, fate or the universe, like doing its universal, is universe stuff. I like Kung Fu Panda, you know. It's going gonna, it's gonna, to um, require a lot more than just universe juice for him to survive, he says. But death is by God's appointment. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 2, there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. Hebrews 9, 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And so life is protected by God, and it's protected by him in all kinds of ways. Think of Daniel in the lion's den. Think of Noah on the boat. Think of Israel wandering through the wilderness. Think of Joshua in his time going in and taking the nations. Think of King David with Goliath. And so death is protected, but it is also, it is in his divine plan that we each have an expiration date. And so the, the two can be living together with one another. So for the first part of this sermon, the sanctity of all human life, life proceeds from God, it is precious to God, it is protected by God. The second thing, or the third, or yeah, no, the second thing we need to cover then is the sanctity of the unborn, specifically. The sanctity of the unborn, if you're a note taker. And then the next thing that you could write down is children are planned by God. We see this because of the mandate of humans to reproduce. This is in Genesis 1 and 2. After he created them, he told them, be fruitful and multiply. God loves children. He, he wants there to be an abundance of children. He told them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. That was humans' divine command to do so. But we see other places in Scripture, too, that this is affirmed. Like in Psalm 139, the guys in the back are going to help me click through this, but it says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there, were, there was none of them. I want to ask you, how does this make you feel? 
it should make you feel very, very loved and cared for. I hope that it does. God was watching over you before you could have even been perceived on modern day ultrasound technology. God had every single one of your days planned out for you before you took your first breath outside of the womb. That, I hope, is such an encouragement to you. That God is watching over you, cares for you, loves you, and that you were part of his plan. And so no matter how you feel, no matter what society says about you, that you are wanted and desired by God. Yes. So there has never been anyone that God has not known, seen, and cared for. This should also be, I hope, great comfort to all those who have ever suffered a miscarriage. That God knows your child. I also believe, and we don't, we don't have, and I, and I apologize for this, and if you're in this camp, again, I, I would love to share more of this with you, but I also believe that there are many, many children in heaven who have never been here on this earth. God knew about heartbeats before ultrasounds. He created us individually. It says that here, that he was an active agent in knitting these children together. David is talking about this here of himself. God has his fingerprint on every single human life. That's why children are planned by God. Jeremiah 1.5, another famous one. This is maybe the one you thought I was going to go to. Uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Now for Jeremiah, it says, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And so this is this idea also of our predestination, at least, maybe not salvation, not for everybody, but at least our predestination on our existence and a plan for everyone. So where else does that lead us? Well, it leads me to my second of this Second main point, with the sub-point, is that children are to be treasured and protected. Children are to be treasured and protected. Psalm 127, 3 through 4. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Throughout history and throughout Scripture, children have been seen as a blessing. Even so much so as we see that the nations of Israel, uh, part of the reason that God destroyed these other nations, right? Part of the reason he sent Israel in to destroy these other nations are because these other pagan nations were actually engaging in child sacrifice to their false gods, these demons, for the purpose of, even at times, for the purpose of growing in greater abundance of their prodigy later on. They figured, hey, if we give them the first one, then maybe they'll bless us with more fruitfulness throughout our nation through the rest of it. And so throughout history, we see that children are to be treasured, they're to be protected. God has a special care for these little ones. 
He showed that special care through Israel wandering in the wilderness. Remember, there was the, the adult generation that said, we can't go in, and God was like, well, now you're not going to go in. And up until these, this next generation are going to be the ones to go in. And up until then, we're going to be preserved in the wilderness where their clothes never wore out and they always had manna to eat, even though they complained about that too. Where we see Jonah sparing the little ones in the city of Nineveh. We just covered Jonah here recently, if, you, if you've been here for a little bit. And we see Jesus talking about the care and the treasured protection of these children. I'm not sure if I have it up here. I, I do. They're going to help me in the back click through this. Matthew 18, 1 through 14. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Because they all wanted to be the greatest. Calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be thrown into the depth of the sea. Now, seven through nine, he talks about sin is going to come into the world and woe to, the, to, to those who it come through, right? And then he picks up this again in verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that have never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. There is a feel fearful danger of going against God's will. And it says here that it is not the will of the Father that any of these little ones should perish. He tells us here that we ought to have the faith of a child. He tells us here that we ought to be in the business of receiving these little children. He tells us that out of all the things that we do, we ought to not cause any of these little ones to sin. He tells us here, and, and, and again, I don't know the answer to this, and by the way, it's okay as a Christian, it's okay even as a pastor, believe it or not, to be able to say sometimes, I don't know the answer to this. Apparently, these little ones even have special angels that always see the face of the Father. Does that mean we have guardian angels? I, I don't know. But apparently, these little ones have angels that directly report on behalf of them to the Father. And then verse 14, again, it is not His will that any should perish. So that's one end of the spectrum, the, the, the unborn child. Here's the other end of the spectrum, the sanctity of the aged, the elderly, the aged, I guess is how you would pronounce that. So the sanctity of the aged. Uh, firstly, the elderly are to be respected. 
Was that, was that one of our elderly brothers or sisters who was just making sure we were all paying attention to this one? I don't know. I, did, I wasn't looking up. So if, so if that wasn't you or you were offended by me just calling you elderly, I didn't see you. And so just uh, understand uh, that it, it, is, it is a blessing from the Lord to be considered elderly. Uh, I'm going to take my foot out of my mouth so I can finish uh, preaching. Okay? Uh, so here in Proverbs 23:22, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Or in 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. And then going back to the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, 32, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. In Scripture, long life is a sign of God's blessing, especially before modern technology, right? I mean, back then, without all the surgeries, without all the different stuff, I mean, all of you who have went through different things, right? Some of you have had like shoulder surgeries or knee replacements, or you've had stints put in, or all these kinds. Imagine a time before all that. So if you made it to gray hair... You were blessed, okay? Because life was hard and it was rough. And in Johnny Cash, if you're going to make it, you better get tough. And so that's why he called us... Anyway, that's a different sermon, right? Next week. Next week. Yeah, a couple. But long life is a sign of God's blessing. Gray hair is a sign of wisdom and it's a crown of glory. So stop dyeing your hair. Own it and praise the Lord for it. The elders of Israel are those who are to be consulted. They are the ones who sat at the gates. They are the ones who solved the nation's problems. Do you know why? Because they've been around for a time or two, and they've seen a thing or two, and so they might actually have some wisdom to give as you make these big life decisions. Amen? Job 12.12, wisdom is from the aged and understanding in the length of days. And so we need to think about this when we think of things like old folks' homes and standards of care or end-of-life care, palliative care. Are we treating these people with respect because they are created in the image of God? Are we fighting for their dignity? Next is this, the elderly are to be provided for. 1 Timothy 5, 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So if you have parents who are aged, who are aging, beloved, it is your responsibility to care for them. Now, I, I understand that not all of us have been blessed with, with medical backgrounds, and there are some levels of care that we are inadequate of offering to those in our families who are around us, who are, who are elderly, who are aging, and that's a different kind of scenario but according to this text, the children and the grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household by giving back to the one who suffered for them all those years, 
all those sleepless nights and changing of diapers and picking up your stuff around the house. Can we not repay? Psalm uh, 71, 9, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. You know, there was a day where old folks' homes did not exist. Social Security did not exist. And they would live in the same household as their grandchildren. And the grandchildren would be tasked with bringing them food and feeding them on their beds if they couldn't get out. Think of the texts like with Ruth and Naomi in the book of Ruth. Ruth left her family to care for her mother-in-law. Think of Jesus' care for his mother. That on the cross, as he was suffering and dying, he looked out and saw his aged mother. Because remember, his, he's in his 30s now. And so, uh, again, think of the longevity of people. Whatever age that would have made Mary, I, I don't know. But she, she was a widow at this point because there's no mention of Joseph, we can assume. And so Jesus, as the oldest son, looks out, sees his mother, and this is what he says. When Jesus saw his mother, that, by the way, this is in John 19, 26 through 27, if you're interested. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. You see, the elderly are to be provided for. True religion is care for the widow and the orphan, right? So how are we doing, brother and sister, in visitation? How are we doing in meals? How are we doing in transportation? How are we doing in sharing the responsibility of those in our congregations, secondly, and those in your own families, firstly? I'm about to say something that's really hard. But I have to say it, and it needs to be said. Remember I said that the big idea of this whole message is in the eyes of God, what does the Bible say about abortion? Now in the eyes of God, our creator, all creation, all human life is valuable. So what that means, and this is what I mean by this is something that's hard to say, it's something that's hard to hear, but it's something we need to both hear and it's something we need to say, is that according to God's word, abortion is murder. Because it's the taking of a human life, a life that was created in God's image. In the Old Testament, there's scripture about this specifically. Not about abortion, remember I said that's not in there, but about this specifically. I'm going to read it and they're going to click through with me. But when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And in Ecclesiastes, 
And I don't know why more people don't know about this, so write it down. You should know about it. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So like I said, the Bible doesn't have the word abortion in it, but it does have the idea of the sanctity of life, all human life, from the unborn all the way to the aged. And so what does the Bible say about those who have had an abortion? What the Bible says is that they have allowed their children to be murdered and they have sinned against God and their child. But the Bible says that there is forgiveness. The Bible says that there's restoration. The Bible says that there's peace. If what does the Bible say about those who have encouraged or are encouraging abortion? The Bible says that they are advocating for murder and that they have sinned and are sinning against God, against women, against children, and against society, but there is forgiveness in Christ. What does the Bible say about those who have or are performing abortions? The Bible says that they have or are committing murder, and that they have and are sinning against God and women and children, but they can receive forgiveness because Christ died for that too. That's the free gift of salvation, beloved. That there is no sin so grievous that can separate us from a loving, forgiving Savior so long as we recognize it before Him call it what it is, even though it's hard to do, confess it and desire to repent from it. So that brings me to, I think, maybe a more important question for us this morning. How should the church respond to those who are considering abortion? In love. Encouraging and teaching them in hopes to care for her and the baby by whatever means necessary. Radically. And what that means is, is if she cannot get to the doctor's appointments that she needs, then we drive her. If she cannot pay for the medical treatment, then we pay for it. If she cannot raise that child, then we adopt it. That's what that means. That's what God wants. How should the church respond to organizations or governments that are unashamedly pursuing and practicing abortion? Beloved, it is our duty to respond according to the word of God. Proverbs 24, 10 through 12, say this. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we didn't know this, does, that, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And while 
Will he not repay man according to his work? So what that means is how do we respond to organizations and governments that are unashamedly practicing this? Well, it does not mean that we go and kick down the doors and drag them out by their hair and beat them in the street. No, no, no. What it means is we vote our conviction in politics by our pocketbooks by our action to the world around us. It means we proclaim the truth of the gospel to a world that needs to hear it. And we unashamedly say the things that the Bible says because it is the word of God and the Bible says it. And then we live out what the Bible commands because the Bible commands it. So what does God think about abortion in the eyes of the creator? All creation, all creation, all human life is valuable, is precious, is protected. And so being pro-life is more than just abortion. As believers, we should live in a way that honors the dignity of all humans, regardless of political, policy, social norms, or stage of life. Because we serve a God of life. Let's pray. Father, in our society, this topic is divisive. We ask that you let it not be so in our church, in your church, with your people. Give us the heart and voice to stand boldly on the truth of your word and, and allow us the grace to live out the truth in love with one another and our neighbors. God, we pray for anyone who, hearing this message, is offended. We pray that you would soften their heart to your word. God, we pray for anyone who hears this message and who has had an abortion and who is grieved by their sin, that you would shower them with your mercy and grace. That we as a church would not cast them out, but rather wrap them up in your love. We praise you, Lord, that your grace is greater than all our sin. That you are the God who makes beauty from ashes. We pray for these women. That in you they would experience a peace that surpasses understanding as they rest in the faith of your forgiveness. God, let us be a church for the broken, for the hurting, for the shamed, for the guilty. Let us not put on pretense. Rather, give us hearts to bear one another's burdens and walk together down your path of grace. For you came for the sick, not the healthy. Help us by your spirit to value all life as precious to you. For you are the God of life. In whose name we pray. Amen.